Good evening, and welcome to this week's broadcast of Life's Tough, You Can Be Tougher. We had our premiere broadcast several weeks ago, and since then, we've been off and running. I'm Dustin Planholt, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. Everyone, when you think about it, has a story. Some stories may sound more riveting than others. That's to be expected. Not every story, after all, is the basis for a blockbuster movie. Yet when you think about your own story, the most important thing to consider is what you will do with it. Or, to put it another way, what will your legacy be? We're looking forward to another terrific show this evening. With my co-host, Oren Stewart, and this week's special in-studio guest, baseball legend B.J. Serhoff. We're broadcasting, of course from the Alston Carlisle Studio in Baltimore, Maryland. Okay, let's first welcome, returning here to our studio, Oren Stewart, host of The O-Factor. Hello, Oren. Hey, Dustin. How are you, sir? Good. Welcome back to the show, Oren. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Now let's introduce baseball legend B.J. Surhoff. You may know of B.J. as a former Major League Baseball player. He had a career in the big leagues that spanned more than 19 years. He started with the Milwaukee Brewers, the team that selected him as the first overall pick in the 1985 baseball draft. He played with the Brewers from 1987 through 1995. In 1996, the Baltimore Orioles signed him as a free agent. He became one of the most popular Oriole players, and he had some of his most productive years in Baltimore. At the end of the 2000 season, to the surprise of many, he was traded to the Atlanta Braves. He ended up back with the Orioles in 2003, and after the 2005 season in Baltimore, he retired from baseball. A few years later, in 2007, BJ was inducted into the Baltimore Orioles Hall of Fame. You may also know BJ for the nonprofit enterprise that he and his wife, Polly Wendy Surhoff, established back in the year 2000. By the way, Polly is a member of the Maryland State Athletic Hall of Fame 2017. Pathfinders for Autism works to support and improve the lives of individuals affected by autism. As the state's largest autism organization, Pathfinders helps individuals, parents, and professionals access the resources, support, and training they need. Pathfinders also works to raise public awareness of autism spectrum disorders. Hello, BJ. Great to talk to you, and welcome to Life's Tough. Thanks, Dotson. Thanks for having me tonight. Before we go on, I'd like to again welcome the POI Institute as a Life's Tough sponsor. The POI Institute is a private, luxurious, holistic detox center located in gorgeous Cabo St. Lucas on Mexico's Baja California Peninsula. POI offers safe, medically-focused Ibogaine detox treatments for individuals suffering from a variety of addictions. Call the POI Institute at 833-POI-CABO. That's 833-POI-CABO. Or check out their website, POIibogaine.com. B. 
be sure to tell them that Life's Tough sent you. BJ, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today, BJ. I know we got a chance to talk off air a little bit, so we didn't flush too much out, man. But um, just tell us about your career and how much uh, baseball really has meant to you since having retired, actually. Well, <laughs> you know, the sarcastic part of me is I never retired. Ah, they just took my job. Got so. you, man. <laughs> I'm unemployed for the last 15 years. Oh, man. So uh, it was always something I wanted to do. Grew up around the fields. My dad was uh, an athlete. He played for the Knicks in the gotcha. early 50s, but really more known throughout the, the, all the country, but mostly in the, the eastern seaboard, fast-pitch softball. Wow. So we were every weekend at the fields. You know, I had two brothers, two sisters, and it was a time where you went into the street and you played, and whoever showed up, you you did whatever you did on, so that, on that day. You know, uh, stick ball, wiffle ball, bounce ball, speed ball, whatever you want, to kick ball. You kept busy. Whatever. Yeah. You didn't sport, have an iPad. No, we did not <laughs> no have iPads. An iPad. No, no cell phones. I was just telling my kids hockey, today, man. Whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, I was just telling my kids today. I said, you know, back in the, in the day, we went outside. Mm -hmm. There was no sitting in the house. So yeah, I'm sorry. Just keep going. Yeah. Yeah, I grew up in a small town, so it really wasn't a whole a lot of issues to, yeah. to deal with uh, you know no one rode their bike or walked around the town and and we played wow and, you know went outside and played if you were inside your parents told you get outside and go so out true. yeah so yeah. again you know baseball was always something i wanted to do i was every season i wanted to be a football player and then i wanted to be a basketball player and i wanted yeah. to be a baseball player and that went on for about 15 years in wow. every, every cycle and baseball just grabbed a hold of you well, I knew I was pretty good at it, and you know, I was good at the other ones, but I was better at, at baseball, and it became more and more evident I was going to have more of a chance to do that. And come around my, really my senior year, you know, I entertained a couple football things, the small schools, the smaller schools, some of the Ivies and whatnot, and, and the Yankee Conference. And then basketball came around, and, you know, that popped in my head for a little while, and yeah. that, you know, and then it was really evident at the time that I was uh, – because I had a lot of scouts coming to my games and talking to me before, and then I was going to have a chance to play in college and possibly professionally. Wow. Yeah, so, BJ, one of the things that I was thinking about earlier when we were talking was how did you hyper-focus? Like, once you found, I'm good at baseball, I'm good at this thing, how did you allow yourself to take the distractions and push them to the side? That wasn't really a problem, because for me it was all about competing. Just the absolute... Good old competition. So, so would you say that that was your fuel? Uh, the loathe of losing was mm -hmm. just something I probably wasn't known as the best sport as a kid because um, all you want to do is win. You yeah. know, and that was pretty – and it didn't matter. It wasn't, you know, about trying to get here or there, college or pro. It was, we, we got a game day. We got we to try and win. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, how do we win? How can I beat yeah. you? Yeah, so your wife's also an athlete. What, what's that like? Uh, it was – uh, it wasn't as bad because, you know, we did different things. <laughs> okay. uh, Any but, competition when it came to? <laughs> uh, not when it comes swimming. Because I, yeah, I know, right? No, I can beat her in a 50. That's about that's it. About but that's after it. that, it, and I know she's laughing right now because she knows it's true. <laughs> she's like, but all sure my you? kids swim too, and I'm, probably, I'm the worst swimmer in the yeah, family. I can barely wow. doggy paddle, yeah, so maybe I'm one the day worst Paul can teach me. I'm the worst one in the family by wow. far. Yeah. So, you know, that particular – my kids were active. We we're all active. But, you know, I had brothers. I had sisters. You know, again, my dad, we were just around sports growing up. So it was what I wanted to do. And it's been a huge part of my life. It will continue to be. Yeah. How do you find the balance? Well, I guess that's something you learn. I, I had to find the balance. It, 
Early in my career, my first year went really well, and the second and third years were not good. It was the first time I really, really had to deal with failure. And it, I got married at the end of my third year. And really, I, it may sound weird, but once I had kids, it, it, it got better for me. Really? At least not um, when it wasn't going well when I'm home. It was uh, yeah, something a, to look forward to. There's a diaper to be changed. I yeah. didn't really care if I got yeah. a hit or not. <laughs> did, that, did your you wife know? say, look, because you're, you're an athlete, you, you, you get off from diaper duty? Or? No, 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 no. Because of the way the schedules were, you know, I was more up late or, or, and I would. No, we, no we, we, we did it together That's as, awesome. as much as we could, you did the feedings. And, uh. you know, again, she was doing the morning ones because I wasn't much a morning person and I was doing, doing the late ones. And I'll never forget one of the first ones I was waiting for my son. And I, he was normally around midnight, and then I would wake up and I'd go. And then I waited and waited, and I went through the, the whole Godfather <laughs> waiting for him <laughs> until the last five minutes, and then he decided to wake up. Oh, man. So I missed the ending. Yeah. But, um, like, you know, that was, I, I always wanted to be involved in the kids and, and helping out and, and doing my part and, and being a good, good parent and good father. Well, I find it quite Says remarkable that. that after 19 years in baseball, I, I'm blessed to, to have you as a friend, um, being over your home and seeing your family, that you still remained together. You stayed strong. You stayed strong through, I would say, probably every challenge that, that I could ever have yeah. a thousand times over. Yeah, I mean, we all have challenges. You know, we have our disagreements. You know, the kids, there's four of them, they disagree. You know, me and my wife disagree. Yeah. The girls disagree. Me and my son disagree. The, you know, we disagree. And you know, we have issues, you know, with Mason, our, our son, is, isn't doing well. It kind of stresses everybody out. But I'm really proud of my kids and, and the people they become um, and who they are and what they've because they've they grew up a little different than me. And, and uh, but we've tried to keep things I like term to keep it as real as possible for yeah. them and and have them be their own people. But uh, but try and, and give them the right directions. That's awesome, man. It's important. It's so important, especially I can imagine as a, a professional athlete, you know, having to balance like Justin, uh, Dustin was saying, I'm sorry, Dustin, yeah. the balancing the two, you know, um, that's not something all of us can understand, yeah. you know, being yeah. on this side. It of was the probably coin. harder on them than me. Yeah, know, that was going to be know, my question to you. What would you say were some of the things that when you would come home and, and the kids were really like, Dad, but yeah, having was, to debrief. Um, yeah, the there was there was only one when I say harder on on. on on them, there was one instance when my son was I don't know, 11 or something. He was playing a baseball game. And my wife told me, you wouldn't believe the things they were saying to him on the field today. Oh, man. I'm like, yeah, you're not as good as your dad. Like, well, I'm thinking, really, dude? I mean, what parent goes out to rag on an 11-year-old kid and tell him, you know, I, I'm glad I wasn't there? Cause, yeah. You know, you think, hmm. hey, man, really? You know, I've, I saw you play. You weren't very good either. <laughs> I mean, no, still come on. You, you got really? to 11, <laughs> 11, 12-year-old kids out here. Why don't you just let them be kids and yeah. play? So. You know, I, I didn't really, my, I didn't have a lot of talent for that type of stuff. Let the kids be the kids and, and not worry about who your parents are. So important. Yeah, so now, BJ, for, for the fathers out there that have to travel and the mothers that have to travel, you spent a lot of days away from the family. Mm-hmm. How did you keep the connection? Well, pre-internet. Pre-internet. <laughs> for, for those, <laughs> as we're going over the internet. Yeah. You know, it was, it was phone calls. You know, call home, trying at the right time. Uh, when they're getting ready, uh, when they're up, when I'm not playing, it's trying to figure out in the middle of the day. Obviously, today, in a way, it's easier to keep up because text, Skype, iMessage, yeah. or whoever, whatever avenue there is, it's easier to keep in contact, I think. Uh, in fact, it definitely is. But 
it, it gets hard. You know, the, the, the one staying at home, it, it, they bear the burden. Mm-hmm. You know, we were fortunate. We had um, a, a, a little bit of help. We found, like anybody else, some babysitters to help us out. Uh, the biggest thing we That's figured we out is we needed help from 4 to 8 o'clock. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that is drive time, school, back, activities, bath time when the kids because at one time we had four and five we had four and five years so you know they're pretty similar in ages and you you know they're doing and so you need help with that aspect and getting this one in the bed and 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 that one here and there and so an extra set of hands so it was nice to find we were able to find some some real good help but just at local colleges with uh, with babysitters yeah it's a lot to juggle Mm-hmm. Dustin, you were saying that one time I remember before, before talking yeah, about the, the, the juggling. How do you find it's it's the juggle of life? Yeah. Yep. Again, I learned from the guys I play with. I, I was very fortunate to, in Milwaukee. I, I lived down the street from Robin Yount and his wife, and they mm-hmm. had four kids. Wow. And wow. so it was really easy for me to watch how he dealt with his kids. And you know, I got some and, – and how others uh, – handled it themselves so i had some real good role models some people to see how things worked out and what the problems are and how to possibly deal with them but that was really got a a good view watching how michelle and robin handled their kids well i haven't seen how how you uh how what your kids think about you the advice you can give for parents to develop healthy relationships as the kids get older. <laughs> give us the secret sauce, BJ Serhoff. There's See, no secret sauce up, there. No <laughs> I need to know. You know, one thing for me, I, I, I've said this before, I didn't mind being the uncool dad. Uh, I love my kids. I had to make decisions and treat them a certain way, reprimand them, and I didn't mind if it, they didn't really like it. If it was as long as it was the right thing to do, if yeah. I wasn't uh, strict, I don't know. I, I believe in a certain way of doing things and uh, tried to, to keep that, especially as I got older and, you know, the driving and all the other stuff going on and, and whatnot. I still believe in, in handling a certain way. And like I said, I, all I was c- concerned about was kids being safe and being okay and being good people. So I didn't mind being the uncool person. Hmm, very and, powerful. And sometimes... That wasn't always. I tell you, man, that's, that's a lesson in itself. You know, so many parents of today want to relate. Yeah. You know, I mean, young friends. dads, I've got an eight-year-old yeah. and a nearly yeah. six-year-old. Yeah. And the struggle that I have is as they get older, well, as I'm getting older, exactly. they're getting older. Yeah. And finding that ability to communicate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, again, I want to be my kid's parent and father first, yeah. their friend second. Um, but that doesn't mean... We can't be close, but there's also the line trying to understand, too, playing dual roles. And it's not easy. Nothing is easy for anybody, but it's something that I believe in. I was reprimanded as a kid. Um, probably different than you're allowed yeah, to right. do yeah. these days. Yeah. <laughs> you're not, you're the only one, huh? You say definitely different, yeah. yeah. But look at, where, look at where it got you, you know? Uh, so, again, a lot of, I'm very, very fortunate to have a lot of good people in my life that helped me along the way. Awesome. That's wonderful. So Pathfinders for Autism, how did that begin? Pathfinders started out as a group of parents. Really, my wife and a bunch of people she met were meeting as a support group. Over And most of the, the people that were meeting were had a connection with Dr. Becky Landover, Kenny Krieger. And, and Becky's Great wonderful. organization. Yeah, and Becky's wonderful. And out of it, they started to talk, how can we try and help people like us that are going to go through what we have gone through, getting the diagnosis, learning how to try and 
do, handle it, and letting people know who that are coming that there's there are other people out there going through what you're going through because it was probably one of the worst it was one of the worst days of my life getting a diagnosis that my my son wasn't mm. you know atypical wasn't normal wow so now pathfinders today is it what you thought it was going to be Does no it- <laughs> no i couldn't if you'd ask me what it was going to be i have no idea wow. uh, and early in the early stages i wasn't really really involved i was still playing um uh, Brian Munn was the president. Becky Land, um, I'm sorry, Becky Galli was was the treasurer. I think I was the vice president. I wasn't near as involved because I wasn't around as much. I was I was involved. And um, Bruce Schindler, our treasurer, has been there for day one. And and Becky Galli, like I said, she's our treasurer. That group of people really got the organization off the ground. And again, I tried to help as much as I can. And the big thing I always wrestled with was. My son has a neurological disorder. Do I want to turn him into a poster child or do I want to let him? Yeah. Hmm. On the flip side, I may have a platform to try and help others, but trying to keep that balance too. We're yeah. trying to help the cause, help him, but not all the, everything. That would come with be, him. And let him yeah. be him. Yeah. And so again, I, I, so I was very selective about the stuff I did, the interviews I did, or how much awareness. Um, and when I did it, because I wanted my kids to have some sort of normalcy in their life and, and not just be all about autism, it's very, very important in our life. But it was, um, it was a conscious effort to get in a little bit by little. But the organization was an all-parent, well, all-working all board. We did all the work. We raised the money. We, we, we helped start the programs. The first thing we decided was that we had this big grandiose plan that we we're hoping to have this huge facility out in the country with horses. And, and then we go, oh, well, I don't think we have quite have $30 million. <laughs> there yet. So It'll be there soon. So the budget, yeah. 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 If there's anybody looking to donate $30 yeah, million yeah, dollars to so Pathfinders we, we for Autism. said, you know what? We have about, I don't know, we could raise a few thousand dollars here. Let's start an online database. So a resource center. So people call in or go online and get information because information is the key we're, we're not a service provider. We don't knowledge re- is power. We don't do research. We try and help give people the tools to help their, their child. Wonderful. Well, we, uh, we'd love to work on that with you when it's built. We'll put it on lifestuff.com. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure that's our goal right at the moment, but it is. Paul, if you're listening in, yeah. that's the goal. Cause yeah. actually I had a question for you, uh, BJ, sure. uh, in regards to you and your wife, what, what roles do you both play within the organization now? Well, currently, and I don't know for how long, the past little while I am president of the board. Okay. I wouldn't read too much into that. Gotcha. Someone needs to have the title. <laughs> um, we, we're a very hands-on board, interactive. We yeah. have a lot of people doing a lot of different things. We have many committees. Uh, we run outings, um, fundraisers. and uh, But Polly's real involved on the board, but she, she gets more involved on the event side. On the event side, got gotcha. you. Yeah. Any special goals coming up the organization has between now and, say, uh, end of fiscal year? Or be, o- year? be over budget. Be over budget. <laughs> That's it. Be over budget. No, like anybody else, every other nonprofit, we, we need to raise money. You know, that's what you do as a nonprofit. Yeah. To, in order to do what we do, we need to raise money because everything we do is free to people. No, our families pay and they pay zero. Nothing that yeah. we do costs people money. And, yeah, and what zero. you guys are doing is generational. I mean, look at... Your own children, 
that now their kids will know about the work of autism or Pathfinders for Autism. Yeah, the awareness is, is, is one component of what we do, but the programming that we run around the state and, and getting people information in order. To, so the goal is to reach every corner of the state, operate and do programming in every single county of the state. We are, we, most of our work has been done in Baltimore, Howard, Harford. We've, that's our, where the, the most of it is done. But we have hit every single county in the state, and we want to continue to expand our reach. But like anything else, whatever we can do in terms of raising money allows us to do more. We went from no employee, no staff members to eight, and we have uh, some self-advocates that work for us that do some of the programming and, and come in in our seminars. Wow. We have a young man who is autistic, and he, is a, he does data entry for us, mm-hmm. and he's phenomenal. He's, he's, they used to quality control. They don't even, you know, yeah. he, he's just so, so good at it. And we have some, some, um, some individuals that come from some of the places that, have it, that deal with people on the autism spectrum and they come do some work in our office too and my son also he'll you know he volunteers and, and he works at it one day a week so we, we're doing more and more of that but we run programming around the state we're, we're training we're training just about anybody but law enforcement firefighters ems emt first wow. um uh we've we've trained dental students medical students and one, one, maybe the most important, the people on the front lines are ER, ER doctors and ER nurses doctors. because yeah. those are the people that are going to get the, the cases that come in and deal with, with an individual that has an issue and try and figure out how to deal with them, someone who is yeah. on the spectrum. And, and that program has, has been phenomenal. We're, we've trained police officers how the, what to look for. Yeah, so let, let's talk that through. Uh, mm-hmm. for, for those not having a family member with mm-hmm. autism, um, and our listeners around the world, what are the signs? Well, they're all different, but some of it, they can, they can be very recluse. Mm-hmm. They may not be verbal. They may not listen. Uh, you know, so they can be seen as standoffish. And so you know, there was an incident up in Frederick a number of years ago where an individual with a disability, unfortunately, there was a fatality. Yeah. So that's one of the things we're trying to avoid. We're trying to give people the tools that are going to come in contact with people, first responders, police officers, firefighters, uh, paramedics. How, what to look for, what the possibilities. You know, do they have possibly a, a, a medical alert? Do they have, is there something to look for? Is there, do they stim? Do they flap? Or are they self-talk? Do they wear headphones? Do loud noises bother them? So there's some signs, and our staff has created the programming and the content, and we do the trainings with some other trainers that we help, and our program has gotten uh, just fantastic reviews from, uh, from the people we talk to. With some of the events that you all have coming up, um, are there training events? Like, yeah, we have a number. They're on our website. You can go on our so website. So go to website, check Absolutely. it out. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, pathfindersautism.org. Awesome. And we do them. You know, a number of years ago, we met with the county executive, um, and, we, and we talked to him because the, the, there's a mandate for police and fire to, be, to have some sort of training. Okay. And, and we presented our program to it, and now we train the Baltimore County Sheriff and Fire. That's awesome. So we'll, it started with us training the, the state police cadets. They came to us. Mm. And, and so we've trained those people all around the state uh, on how the things to look for, yeah. you know, the signs. And, and for example, if, if uh, an individual or child goes missing, they're, they're, people on the spectrum, percentage-wise, are more apt to gravitate to towards, look, wa- yeah. towards water. Hmm. Oh, so okay. where, really? are, where are the lakes and the ponds in there? 
And so those type tools to, to know what to look for and where to possibly find it. When my son was about um, two years old, my wife had all the kids in the pool, and you know, she turned for one second, it was getting dust, and turned, and all of a sudden he was gone. And mm-hmm. she couldn't find him for about 45 minutes. Well, he had walked wow. down the driveway across the street and was throwing rocks in the pond at our neighbor's house. Fortunately, he could have swam. Yeah. But, you know, the, and, of course, I was out of town. Yeah. But you know, th- for, that's very, very common for individuals on autism spectrum to gravitate towards water. Many of them are very comfortable wow. in the water. In the water yeah. And that's another program that we've done. We have, we have uh, trained people, and swim instructors, how to teach kids on the spectrum how to be water safe. And, and th- that's another program we're really, really proud of. That's awesome. Yeah. That's it's important. Yeah. Awareness is everything. Yeah, yeah, and, learning. And, and if I could continue just on one spec, one of the things we do is free family fun nights. Well, for I don't know how many years running, there's, we'll rent out the... So to go out with your kids is, is nice. A lot of people that have autistic kids, they, they don't feel like they can do it. They're yeah. Either their child acts up or they don't feel comfortable or... It's very, very expensive, and, you know, they're spending money on other things. They just can't do it. So what, one of the things we do is we rent out the aquarium on a Sunday afternoon where it's, it's um, sensory-friendly, and it's just for us. Yeah. And we have upwards of 2,000 people come. Wow. And a family of four can come in. It doesn't matter what their child does, and they come, they get to go to the aquarium as a family. That was going to be one of my questions. How many families come? But you said two thousand. It's all. It's all. It's, that is I amazing. Mean, wow. It's much as many as two thousand people. Wow. And it doesn't matter the tantrum or, or how they're acting up or what they're doing. Nobody cares because we're all in the same boat. That is so important. Yeah. They can feel. You and know, it's like a program we're, we're very very proud of, and um, we've done it at Marling Ballparks too, where you can get to go watch a ball game and sit in an area designated for them. And you know, we and again, all of it's free to them. Wow. So another question on for Pathfinders. Where the organization is today, where do you see it in 10 years? Well, that's a... Where's your heart? That's a great... That's all part of a strategic plan. I'm not the best strategic right, planner Give us the, the Reader's world. Digest. But again, we, we want to continue to expand our reach. We want to, we want to continue to, to run the programming of training, and we want to expand it as, as much as we can. We operate in the state of Maryland, and, and, and that's what we do well. And we want to serve the people in our neighborhood. And one of the things we talk about and I'm very proud of is when we have a fundraiser and people do give us money, we, first of all, we, we're very cognizant that there's a lot of choices of where your, your dollars go. And we feel really, really good about how we make those dollars go a long way. And we're protective of it. And we also want them to know that you may be helping your neighbor. You know, staying right here in your neighborhood, the money you give is not going to a national organization it's not going to Alaska or California or Mexico or somewhere. It's, it's staying right here in your community. In state, yeah. And that's really, really a big deal to us. And we'd like to continue to expand our reach on the eastern shore and to southern Maryland and yeah. out in western Maryland. And, and, get, and, and we'd really like to start doing a little bit more in the city. It's been a tough nut to crack. And, and they, mm-hmm. we think that's an area that we really could uh, and do a lot of good. So on the stat side, how many percentage or what is the percentage of families or individuals that are affected by autism? So autism now is one in every 59 children. 59. One in 59. And here in Maryland, it, it's one in 50. Wow. Wow. And it's four to four and a half times and more prevalent. And why do you think that is? What, I, what is it? The answers to that, I think, would all be speculation. I'm sure there's yeah. some... 
PhDs and yeah, some man, research people or some immunologists, virologists or something with an ist on the end could tell you a lot better <laughs> sure. than I can. But yeah. there's a lot of theories, you know, genetic, there's environmental, they're better at uh, diagnosing. So uh, the, the actual answer, we don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, we don't know, but we do know it's at least four more, four times more prevalent in boys than girls. In boys than girls. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Boy. And there's thousands thousands of kids in our public schools that are on the spectrum there's some wonderful programs that mm-hmm. that around in the public schools that deal with the kids would you say um especially within the city when you brought that up possibly undiagnosed as well oh sure a you lot know? of places and that's yeah, where areas that's where in our area. country even possibly out in western maryland gotcha where they're not exactly gonna just take this somebody from so you know when we go to, into an area we partner with a local the local community there we don't just come in and say, hey, we're Pathfinders and we're going to do this here. So we'll partner with somebody from the Eastern Shore and run this program or in down in Southern Maryland and, and run that program or, or out in Frederick or Hagerstown. And we've gotten grants to do stuff like that or go down to PG or to Montgomery. So we are always partnering with local uh, groups yeah. and, and, and get their, their clientele, their groups to, to, to find out what they, is they need to learn about and want to learn about. Wow. Yeah. So for the people that are out of state, um, where would be a great site to send them uh, to learn about autism? Oh, well, uh, Autism Speaks is probably is the national organization. They've done a great job consolidating a number of of terrible organizations become part of the national voice, especially when it comes to policy and and uh, lobbying and and over, but and we feel really good about what we we do here. And, yeah, and it's quite uh, remarkable. Yeah, here in the, in the state again, Autism Speaks is is around mm-hmm. the country. You know, uh, Autism Society of America is another one. Okay. So, and we've done stuff with with both of them, uh, but we feel like here in our community that we are the group to talk to. So, for the early days, for people like me that have young kids and their child gets diagnosed with autism. Talk about the early days. What, what advice can you give young parents? Oh, that, that, that may be the toughest thing. Like I told you, the day, the day we got the diagnosis for my son, I took him, and the, the neurologist wasn't, didn't have the best bedside in the world. He mm-hmm. was very matter-of-fact, and that's the way he was. And when I came home that day, I walked to the backyard, and Polly came and said, what did he say? And I, I couldn't get the words out. Cause, mm-hmm. and, I, and he's autistic. And she wanted to know what it meant, and I didn't know. I really know. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it was going to mean for his, what it was going to mean for his future, where it was going to be. And again, where he is from there, he's light years. We we just want him to speak. I mean, he's our son's very, more on the on the on the higher functioning spectrum. You know, a savant in some ways, but deals with issues every single day, uh, anxiety, OCD, and, and which is many of many individuals deal with also. So. One thing that we are very, very proud of is when, if you call our organization, the people that answer the phone, there's a really good chance that someone on the end of the phone has an autistic child. The people that, that, that our staff, I believe, uh, I got to do the, the math real quick, I believe four, four of our staff have, individual, have children with kids on the spectrum. So they'll have the compassion and the empathy. They understand. Yeah. And when you call and you have questions, if we don't have the answer, you know, Trisha's going to find it. Shelly's yeah. going to find it. Neil's going to find the answer for what it is you need, and, and we're going to get you. We not we we can't maybe we're not going to be able to solve. Yeah. You know, and 
change the diagnosis, but the, our, our staff is, is going to help you find and do the best they can to get you the answers that, that you're looking for. So now speak to the dads out there, BJ. The dads, uh, you know, the dads with, with really, kids. That's a great question because uh, it doesn't, I, I've often thought there, there maybe should be some support groups for dads too. And uh, in fact, I'm, I'm being, I've been invited to go speak at um, a dad for conference in Chapel Hill where they do a, a ton of, uh, of research and they're really doing great things in there. And I, I think it, it, for other dads to see how they deal with it and it's, and again, the guilt that comes into thing, play yeah. Yeah. on both sides and who, what, where, why, instead of entering, ask, asking those questions, uh, let's move on and try and figure out how, how can I help my child? Yeah, uh, that's wonderful. Uh, we have a live caller, Dr. Steve Planel from St. Agnes hospital on the line. Uh, yes, he's a family member and he is my <laughs> cardiologist. Uh, Dr. Planel, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dustin. All right. So you got BJ Surhoff in the room. Can you hear Yes, we hear can you. Can you guys hear me? Yes, yes we can. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, BJ, first of all, I was always a, an admirer of yours when you played for the Orioles. Uh, but I'm even a greater admirer now that you've taken your fame and your notoriety. And rather than turning it into something that you would use uh, for your um, own benefit, you've turned it into um, uh, uh, a, um, um, uh, a program a resource uh, to really help others. And, and I think that's extremely admirable. I know you're probably blushing in the studio now, uh, but uh, when, all you have to do is read the headlines uh, today to find out how people are using their position or their contacts to advance their own careers or to benefit themselves. But you've taken it to uh, help others. And, and I, I, I admire you tremendously for that and want to commend you for that. And just let other people know that it's, um, uh, how proud we are of you for doing that. Thank you. The other thing I'd like to say is that, you know, autism is not always um, overt. You know, there, yes. there are various degrees of autism. Right. And I've seen people who are clearly autistic who are um, vilified or, or made fun of because they're described as socially awkward or um, uh, they don't have the, uh, uh, the social graces that other people could have. When, in fact, it's their autism that um, uh, makes them uh, behave the way they do or say the things they do or uh, have some unusual behaviors that people are uncomfortable with. Yes. And I think it's important to point that out because a lot of people who are, la are labeled as uh, socially awkward or no social grace, in fact, have very mild forms of autism which, with which they can function day to day, uh, but it's very difficult for them in certain social situations. Yes, very much so. There's a lot of individuals that... Uh, and that's one of the the things people look for is do they withdraw? And that was one of the, the telltale signs for us was our son started to withdraw. And he had developed uh, very quickly. He was on track. And you know, next thing you know, he didn't ever want to be around anybody. And he was only 18 months. So he was so people withdraw a lot. But I think a lot of us like to withdraw sometimes. <laughs> yes, indeed. After, yeah. uh, but... Yeah, there's there's not there are varying degrees. Uh, many individuals have other afflictions, either MR or Downs, uh, along with it. So there and, and there are people that are are savants and their their IQ and what's in, inside their brain, and they have abilities that can just wow you. So 
it's very, very important for awareness and that people understand there, there's not something wrong with that child. That's just how he is, and he likes to flap his arms. It makes him feel good. Um, he, he likes to self-stem. You know, hopefully it's not in a, in a way that um, they hurt themselves because many, of, many people that, uh, with autism have self-abusive behaviors also. Yeah, I, I think that, um, uh, you know, we all need to be a little bit more understanding of one another and um, our behavior patterns and, and realize that, um, uh, I guess as Dustin's put it, you know, everybody's got a story and uh, uh, you, you don't know exactly uh, what that that person or this person has been through. If, you, if you've ever watched it, actually, Chick-fil-A, I, I don't work for Chick-fil-A or in their stock. I love Chick-fil-A. They I do love a it training too. video. Chick-fil-A is delicious. <laughs> they, they can sponsor. They training video, and in the training video, in their training video, they have different people walking in and out of the store, and it's in slow motion, and it's silent. And, and, the, and the point is, um, you know, uh, they have a, a little uh, monogram there. This person was just diagnosed with cancer. This person just got divorced. Right. This person um, uh, just um, uh, lost their home. And, and the point is to their, to their employees is that, look, you don't know what somebody's story is. You know, you're in there, you think you're having a bad day, but you have no idea what their day is like and, and what their underlying issues are that, are that may magnify their problems. One of the things I tell my staff all the time is everybody who walks in the door of our office, you should treat like your mom or your dad because you don't know what they've been through. You don't know what they're going through. And they may not have a serious problem, but they're in a doctor's office, a heart doctor's office. Right. They're scared to death half the time just being in there. Yeah. So, so you know, have some compassion, have some understanding, and treat them the way God intended us to treat one another with love and respect. And, um, you know, we will be okay. Great uh, point, Steve. Great point. All right. Thanks, Dr. Planthold. <laughs> Thank you, man. Okay. Nice talking to you. Hi, Dustin. Too. Nice show. All right. Thanks, thanks. Doc. Yeah. DJ, thanks for, thanks for all your contributions to Baltimore. Thank all right. You. Thank you. We are very proud of B.J. Surhoff in Baltimore, yeah. Maryland. You know, again, Dustin, if I could just say, you know, people give me a lot of credit for it. And really, the, our organizations, our board, and our, as a board, we just try and give our staff who does the work uh, and the people that we, we, that we have worked for us also that contract. We just try and give them the tools, and, and we try and go get the money and raise awareness to allow them to help the people. So they really, that's where the CR role is. You know, I'm not out there doing it. And I, I really wholeheartedly believe, believe this when I say it is I, I get way too much credit for it. Just people happen to know because I played, but there are so many other people doing good things. And, and we're trying to help our staff help people. Yeah. And that's yeah. really what it comes down to. Yeah. You guys have an amazing organization. Yeah, and I just want to say I commend um, the whole team of what you've shared with us today for the work that you all do because uh, awareness is everything. And a lot of times we don't, um, like Steve was saying, um, and I love Chick-fil-A. Going back oh, to that, yeah. we are saying Chick-fil-A is the spot, right? Um, the service that they provide. <laughs> that's yeah. I'm getting hungry. I, I, too, right? later. Look, I had it for lunch actually today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's every day though. But um, the service that they provide mm -hmm. you know, teaches us all so much of how we should interact with one yeah. another so it's it's clear that you all are doing that yeah. so i just want to say i commend um pathfinders and and yeah. the work that you all will continuously do yeah i mean my son affecting our family i mean my kids are all, all they all affect you but he's had the profound effect on my, my kids my yeah. family me you know teaching me i have to be a lot more patient yeah and it's not always easy because he can really your kids can try you but 
He, yeah. you know, when a child on autism is not having a good day, tries everybody's patience. Yeah, I have a question for you. Um, actually, I have a nephew, and um, he is has Asperger's. Mm-hmm. Now, does that also, from my I, understanding, uh, whether doesn't that fall in the line? It somewhere? did, and but I'm I, don't quote me on this hundred percent, but I believe they have now taken that off the spectrum. Okay. Yeah, those are usually higher functions individuals. Okay. I hope no one calls and says, oh, you, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. But, but I'm pretty sure a couple of years ago they redefined and, okay. they, and they, they now took that. They are not considered autistic. Considered autistic, yeah. yeah. I just remember um, hearing it now, granted, like you said, lately, but over the past 10, 20 years, mm-hmm. you know, the conversations had. But the um, importance of listening mm-hmm. and, you know, and being in tune with um, what we like to say, and I say air quotes, difference, the differences that we have. But I find them to be inspiring, actually. You know, it puts us in position to be willing to learn more about one another, you know, instead of seeing that the differences that we have are a problem, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, who helped you through all this PJ? Who was your Sherpa? Uh, we had, who did you lean on? We, uh, I I guess ourselves, you know, I, I, Dustin, I'm not sure I know that answer, but we, we were very fortunate. We had all the people that worked with my son were, were fantastic and they were, some people that we found uh, here that one was first a college student and she was working with kids and she took him to, and she worked with him 40 hours a week wow. um, to places we never thought he'd be. And then the next, um, that was Barbara, the next woman, Allison, who had never worked with an autistic child in her life, learned how to do it. And she homeschooled him. You know, we, and, um, Took him on outings and, and dove into it, and you know, she took him past that. So, and, and then he, he went to high school, and you know, my kids were very involved too. And fortunately, my kids are all real close, and they've gotten they you know, it's a challenge on them too, but they're, they're really good with them also. Where does he fall in the um, because you said you have four, he's my second one, he's your second, yeah. okay, gotcha. I have an older, I have a son who's 28, okay, Mason's 27, my, my daughter's 25 and 24, gotcha. So, it, you know, it's nice. It was tough when they were little, but it's nice now because of how close they are yeah. in age. Uh, there's a men's group that I go to, and one of the questions that was asked fairly recently was, at the end of your life, you will be known by or you will be known as loving blank, blank, blank the most. That's something that I've been asking myself over and over. At the end of Dustin's life, when, when somebody writes it down, like Dustin, he loved the most. I find that you have this career. You You have... You're a big deal in the baseball world, yeah, and then I look at what you've, you make it out what you've done, <laughs> what you've done to bring awareness. That your legacy is one of. Did you see it coming? I mean, could you have imagined that you've been able to find this ability to balance both of these lives? And as I'm sitting with you, to remain so humble. How'd you do it? Well, how'd you I mean, remember <laughs> life's tough? You can be tougher. Yeah. How did you do it? As most people out there know. Life is humbling every single day. I got humbled on the field, off the field, get humbled at home. Um, I've never, ever done or thought about anything having to do with my legacy. I've never, I've never ever thought about why would I be worrying about what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to think about it later on. When I, I need to do what I need to do now. Um, I, I don't know if you remember. We went to Cuba in 1999 and played the first game down there. And afterwards, I had to do a press conference. I've been down there, and they someone asked me, and I said, they asked me about making history. And my answer was, I never thought about making history. I always just read about it. 
So I never really thought about creating any kind of legacy. When I played, I just wanted to win. Or more, probably more importantly, I, I, I didn't want to lose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it go, goes back to when you were it's, young. It's right? a better yeah. feeling. Yeah. Uh, but I've never thought about a, a legacy. You know, I, 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 I get satisfaction out of helping. I tell you, you can't see people's lives a little bit. We talk about it. Hopefully their yeah. life is a little bit better today than it was yesterday. And because the kids, all our kids, all of us are going to have bad days. When your, your kids have bad days, especially ones with disabilities, it really puts a lot of stress on everybody. Yeah, having grown up myself with uh, a father who wasn't there and in the early days a mother that wasn't there, I look to you and I look at everything you've done in your life. And it's remarkable that you found a way to, as I, from my own opinion, that the thing B.J. Surhoff loved the most was his family. That that to you has been something that you've dedicated your life to being involved in their lives, no matter where you were, well, no matter are, what's going on around mine. you. They are mine. They were my Hey, you say, yeah. They're my wife. They're our responsibility. Remember, <laughs> no, I, to, to people around the yeah. world, people like Dustin, that didn't have no, somebody I, I there. No, I understand yeah. what you mean. You uh, and me both, Dustin. We, so it really is hard to understand, no, so when you look at it, it's something that's so extra special. I made... I, had vowed to myself I was going to be the best father I could be yeah. and I still try and be I mean well but never hit say so still a work in progress always oh, right absolutely yeah I, I wanted wanted to be the best father I could be and, and there are kids and I wanted to be their father and they're not somebody else raising my kids yeah. and in fact you know when in my last couple of years playing my kids are a little bit they were old enough a little bit to and that's all they knew growing up was me playing was I asked the three of them, you know, how do you feel about me still playing? And they were all like, no, yeah, that's what you do. You got to keep playing. Great. So it was, as I got older, it was important to me that, that they were still good with, with me playing. Right. And then, you know, in hindsight, it was probably good that I was done in 2015 because I was then able to watch because my son was 15 now and my daughters were, I think 12 and 11, I was able to watch all the things that I, and all the good things that they went through and all the experiences uh, going through and all the way through college. So, um, I don't know. I just, you know, I, I had a lot of people help me through life, um, here, there, everywhere there. I could, all of us could have taken different rows or we did things and somehow they didn't get out or, you know, we learned the, the <laughs> no lesson. No one found the, out, huh? Yeah, the lesson. They never made ESPN.com, is that what you're saying? No internet, right? Yeah, we all did things as kids that weren't yeah. necessarily the right thing to do, but, you know, they weren't yeah. massive. We all make mistakes. And, again, one of the things I've kind of tried to preach to my kids is, is to fear failure but not be afraid to fail. And I think it's really, really important. So true. You know, it's, it's a really, really important distinction is, is you can't be afraid to fail because if you go around f- being afraid to fail you never try anything so true can't miss any shots that you that, how does the saying go you cannot miss a shot that you haven't taken yeah you know, and, and michael's thing. a big someone i look to yes i haven't gone to school with him and uh, and oh you, wa- you're right yeah I, watching how he dealt with stuff you yeah know, not, not, he was probably the best person i ever saw with dealing with everybody because gotcha. everybody wanted a piece wow. of him but you know, he'll tell you, he missed 26 or 27 times a final shot, but he kept wow. taking it. Kept taking it, yeah. So during an interview in 2010, a reporter asked you what you were most proud of in your baseball career. I'm not sure if you remember what you said back then. Yeah. <laughs> You're snickering. <laughs> All right, good. That I love my wife. All right. You said the fact <laughs> that I played right gave everything I had 
and that nobody could question my effort. Then you added, I absolutely hated to strike out. I didn't want to be deficient in any part of the game, and I had a hard time looking at myself in the mirror if I didn't play 100%. Have you been able to take this attitude into the off-field endeavors? I'll never Pathfinders f- is growing. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll never fulfill my, that what baseball gave me. You know, I play a lot of golf now, but it's, it'll never be what that, well, I'll never get anywhere near the level that I was in baseball. You know, I play, I enjoy playing. It's just, I'll, I'll never, it'll never, unless I coach or manage, you know, I would, it's and even that, experience. it's totally different because you don't have any control. Yeah. But the point I think I tried to make there was, uh, you know, my dad said to me one time, and he played until the day he died. He was still playing fast with softball. Um, quit many times, but kept coming back. Um, there's two things when, when you're playing. You can do it the right way, you can do it the wrong way. Mm. And I, I tried to you always keep that in mind. And, again, I had great people when I, when I went to Milwaukee, the guys I got to, to emulate and, and learn from and watch. And they, weren't, they were the guys everyone knew, but some of the other guys, too, that people wouldn't know. Um, I had great influences in my life, and I never, ever wanted anybody to question my level of effort. Only my, if I could be happy with my own effort by looking in the mirror, then I knew I'd be okay. Which is always important. And it was important be, to me to be a good teammate. I, I can't say I was 100% of the time, yeah. but that was my number one goal was to be a team, to, to play the game every single day with the idea of trying to win the game and not really matter what happened to me. Yeah. So, BJ, final question for you. While the show is called Life's Tough, You Could Be Tougher, or the segment, Life's Tough. I'm really not but, that tough. But BJ Surhoff <laughs> is tougher. Who's the toughest man and woman that you've known? Uh, you know, we, we, as we were talking about this earlier, I, um, you know, trying to define tough. Um, you know, I, there's tough, tough exteriors and people are, so my dad was a tough guy, but on the inside he was a marshmallow. You know, the first time I ever saw my dad cry, it killed me um, mm. um, when his dad passed away. But probably the, you know, he, he just came up with the, the, you know, Cal on the field mentally as tough as anybody. I mean, to be able to do what he did. I mean, guys in the Hall of Fame don't even think about, can't even talk about playing that many games in a row. Yeah. And having that and bringing that to the table every single day. A professionalism that, you know, I had to learn it too, you know, and. You're tired, yeah. Okay, a lot of people are tired, but mentally, I, I can, I, so I can pushing. be there, do my job, and you know, Michael, like Jordan. When I say my, uh, yeah. Michael's a one-word person. I was going to say about, you got to tell everybody yeah, who we're talking MJ about. MJ is, he, I mean, <laughs> I got to say MJ. MJ. So he's Michael to you, though, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, Michael to me is is as tough as anybody wow. mentally too. And again, on the court, I can't really speak to everybody in their homes and yeah. off the field, but in my arena. And, you know, Tiger's pretty damn mentally yeah, tough, exactly. too. Pretty tough. So, you know, Jack, you know, Jack Nicholas. You know, again, yeah. I use yeah. one-word yeah. people. Because yeah. I, I, those when you're a one-word person, yeah, you, chances are, big difference. there's a lot of times you've, that, you you've know, been you've, in the company. You've right? made it. Yes. You know? I would, we would agree. We would agree. Uh, question for you. With the different people that you've named, right, just now, um, and to the question that Dustin asked as far as toughness, those lessons you hold near and dear, and I assume still apply with Pathfinders to this day, right? Yeah, you know, try, yeah, you know, we've gone through some lean times, and we, we've, uh, but we've hired good people. Our staff is good, are really, really good at what they job at their job. They care about what they're doing. You don't get a nonprofit to to be wealthy. Gotcha. You get because you've 
you want to do something, it's your job, your calling, you know, you're not doing it to try and, you know, to retire at age 40. Yeah. You know, you're doing it because you, you, this is what you want to do. And we have very, very good people and, and they, they care about other people also and, and families with autism. Perfect. Team Thanks, man. BJ. Thank you so much. As you've heard this evening through the stories that both Oren and BJ Surhoff have spoken about, making your way through life is all about preparing yourself being in touch with your own inner strength, and then having a plan and working hard to make that plan happen. I'm not just talking about finding success as a life coach or a major league baseball player. Just look around. You'll see plenty of people who contend every day with life struggles and how they keep trying to make better lives for themselves. My sister was one such person. She was always my protector. It started out when we were just two small kids living in a shack in Rainbow, California a remote community in northern San Diego County. I was 16 months and my sister was five when she took on the role of being my mother too. At that time, we were living with just my father, a single dysfunctional dad. He sometimes worked in construction when work was available. During those times, he was gone much of the day. And when he wasn't working, he was involved in a variety of activities that led to him not being home. There was also an occasion where our dad was locked up in jail. The result was that my sister looked after me. She often made sure that I had food to eat. We'd go down a pathway to this little church where we'd get food. That's where Pastor Ed was. Remarkably, I discovered where Pastor Ed is today, and he was our special guest on our first Life's Tough broadcast. Back to the early days with my sister. When both of us landed in California's foster care system and went from home to home, my sister always tried to protect me in those situations too, when she could. Fast forward about 20 years. My sister is married with two young kids, and she's in a troubled marriage. They're living in a townhouse in Baltimore. Prior to her marriage, she had been in a variety of drug rehab clinics trying to stay clean. The person she married is trying to contend with his own demons. Yet even with all the dysfunction thrown at her during childhood, she still aims to make a better life, a normal life. She is resilient, and she is tough. She goes to school to become a dental hygienist. She works a late-night shift at 24-hour diner in Baltimore City, and she's taking care of the kids during the day. All it takes is all you got. She gave all she had. She does become a dental hygienist, but her marriage is increasingly shaky, and she's becoming ever more desperate to pull enough money together to pay for the rent. Ultimately, things did not turn out well in my sister Tennille's case. She eventually moved to Yakima and Washington State, with her husband and kids. Members of her husband's family offered to help with watching the kids. Both she and her husband needed to get their lives straightened out. My sister really did want to go off to the far end of the world. Yet she didn't want to go, but they did. And she and her husband were soon captives of their recurring drug addictions. In October 2011, her husband's battle with depression and addiction ended when he committed suicide. He was 29 years old. Then in August 2014, my sister died of an overdose. She was 33. On top of all that, it still pains me to think that there are programs out there that could help people like Tennille. One such program is a program based in Cabo St. Lucas, a place where they know and they understand people like Tennille, people like Dustin, people that struggle with a life of worry and a life of pain and a life of addictions. Addictions come in many forms. They come with the cell phone, they come with the iPad, 
They come with the pain of a trial, a tribulation, trauma that they carry with them through their lives. I would like to thank our sponsor, POI Institute, located in gorgeous Cabo St. Lucas in Mexico on the Baja California Peninsula. This is one such place that Tanil never got to go to. It's a new facility of luxury, a holistic detox center that offers safe, medically focused Ibogaine detox treatments for individuals suffering from a variety of addictions. Call the POI Institute at 833-POI-CABO and tell them Life's Tough sent you. As we talked earlier to BJ Surhoff, what we've seen is that life's tough. You can be a major league baseball player, you can be a janitor, and that along your journey and along the way, something will come up, something you did not expect. And if you look around you, there are people there to support you. There is a community. There is a village. On the first episode, I said you need to find a Pastor Ed in your life, someone that will be there for you. Now I encourage you, find a BJ Surhoff. Find a Pathfinders for Autism. Find a Polly. Find someone that you can lean on. In the early days, you're struggling with not knowing how to deal with a child that might have a problem that might be a little different. Well, BJ Surhoff and his family, they decided to do something about it. And so I'd ask you that if you have a family, a friend, or a neighbor, please go to Pathfinders for Autism. They are there to support you. They understand what it's like to deal with the unknown. They are your biggest fan. They are your family. In closing, I would like to thank the audience once again for listening in and tuning in all around the world to hear the message that is so simple, yet is many ways, like the first time we hear it, so powerful. Life's tough. You can be tougher. You heard earlier from Dr. Steve Planholt. Dr. Steve Planholt years ago gave me some advice. I was complaining about not having time. He said, Dustin, you will always find at least one minute to do the things you want to do. I'd encourage you this week, that one minute you have each and every day, to use it. Use it to gain knowledge and power. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. Next week, on April 17th, we'll welcome actor Bobby Burke to Life's Tough. You may know Bobby from his appearance on Law & Order and on the HBO miniseries Generation Kill. He's quite an interesting guy. That's Bobby Burke on April 17th. This is Dustin Planholt, signing off for Life's Tough. You can be tougher.